Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, and we're going back in time a little bit here and, and doing it kind of old, st- well, old style, old style earlier in the season, but not that we'd ever attempted it before then. And basically, I'm going to have one guest on, and then I'm going to have another guest on, and we're going to cover the five games that way. That's probably a more clearer way of, of saying that. And the first guest today is Mr. Craig Cairns. Hello, Craig. Hello. How are you doing, Fowler? Yeah, I'm alright, I'm alright. I'm still a little bit tired for the weekend, a bit heavier uh, day on Saturday than I'd planned. Uh, I'm supposed to like, Doesn't sound like you. <laughs> I was uh, supposed to kind of uh, give up the, the bevy at about 8 o'clock, and I think I gave up about 1. Uh, so that's... Uh, that was, I was feeling a little bit tender yesterday, but it's fine, I still managed to get my work done. I've still managed to watch the best part of three football games, and hopefully catch the other two before I talk to Joel later today. Uh, so we shall begin with a game that I watched live, or at least I watched the first half live on Saturday before getting bored at halftime and changing over to something else. Uh, and that was uh, Motherwell against Hamilton Ackies. Ackies won in the game 4-1. A result that uh, I certainly didn't see coming, especially since I had Motherwell or a coupon. Also, another bet with Motherwell as a bet builder. Both of them were done within 20 minutes and certainly done within half an hour. And it's th- th- there's a couple of, for this game... There's a couple of uh, tactical things that can maybe come on to, but overall, this was just really a case of one team looking like they were up for it, looking like they were prepared, wanting to win the match, and one team who basically just didn't get started. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think we... I was like you, I, I expected better from Motherwell in this game, not just better, but a result actually, because they have looked a bit better under Alexander, and... 
you thought they had to win a game in this fixture at some point. But uh, yeah, it seemed from his team selection that he tried to go with these kind of battlers in midfield. He, 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 it's like he kind of anticipated a battle from Hamilton, but they still they, they went up to it. Maguire had a really, really poor uh, performance. I mean, not to single him out, McGabby was terrible. And is, is it Magalore? Is it, how do you say the guy's name? When he came on, he was, he was really, really bad. But uh, yeah, I mean, like you say, tactically, it wasn't anything too ingenious from Brian Rice, and that's not to take anything away because he he, he got everything right. But it was it was pretty much get the ball up to Ogden Poe for flick-ons, get Odafin to win every second ball, and when that wasn't working, put it wide and put balls into the box, and they caused Motherwell havoc all day. Yeah, and that was maybe the one thing that uh, Motherwell it wasn't really. It was just kind of a bad matchup in the sense that when they are kind of. But again, it goes back to kind of effort because, like, the Aki's back three, like, what, on the brief time they were playing as a front three together, because obviously they had to make the early change after O'Donnell was sent off. But when they were playing as a three, every time the ball was kind of knocked forward from Motherwell, the Hamilton centre halves dealt with it. Like, a lot of these Ogunpo flick ons, and there was two cases, uh, the. What was it? The second goal in particular? Oh, yeah, so they build up to the second goal. It's Aki's keep the ball for about 30 seconds. But this includes, like, Lee Hodson doing, like, a panicked punt-up clearance from his own box. Uh, It also includes, like, a floated cross-field, not quite aimless ball from Scott McMahon, but also, you know, not a lot of purpose on it as well, just kind of putting it into an area. In both those moments, the ball was cleanly won by Bruce Anderson, not not the guy you want on the end of that, but both times, the, the kind of shorter, the more diminutive forward of the two, he gets it clearly because there was just nobody actually putting in a proper challenge to him. I think the first one, Maguire misread the flight of the ball. The second one, he was just allowed, just on the edge of the mobile penalty box, to cleanly knock that ball on. And despite the fact that Hamilton kind of moved it up and down, left to right, for about 30-odd seconds, Motherwell didn't... There was at no point that Motherwell touched the ball in any way, even like a deflection. Like, even, like, try to block a pass or anything. They were just so off it. But one thing I did think, uh, kind of coming back to my point, was that because Motherwell were playing so narrow, it did look at times like they weren't quite sure who to put on the Hamilton wing-backs. And you see, you saw it a lot, because I think it's part of their system. Because they're, they're not... They're, while they're playing quite narrow, it's not almost like a lot of diamonds you see where the fullbacks are pushed on quite far. Like, O'Donnell and Carroll weren't necessarily that attacking, so you're kind of having to leave your front three up to make sure you retain that threat. And that meant that you'd see Campbell on one side or you'd see Maguire or O'Hara on the other side kind of not sure whether they were to stay in the centre or go out and close down the wing-backs when they were putting crosses in. That didn't quite help them. But like I say, it was just... It it just seemed like an effort thing. It just seemed like Motherwell just didn't turn up for this game whatsoever. So you you can... I can put a wee finer point on these little tactical wrinkles, but it almost feels useless, even though... even if they turned up with a completely different formation, I still think they would have won this because it looked like they just wanted it a whole lot more. Yeah, and Aki's are playing with uh, a lot of confidence at the moment, and you can see that. And uh, players like Callahan, it's getting to the point now where you don't even have to mention how well he's doing every week. And Anderson's come in. Uh, if it wasn't for Odefin, I think Anderson's maybe man of the match. Um, he's just given them such a lift. He, he looks like the kind of player who, I understand Aberdeen fans pining for him, especially when he goes away elsewhere and does well, but I think he looks like the kind of guy that's maybe not 
ready for an Aberdeen yet. When you talk about these players, I think there's a lot of players that go to clubs like Hearts and Aberdeen and Hibs and they, and they fail under the kind of... So it's not quite the same thing as Rangers and Celtic with the weight expectation you have to perform every week, but to a lesser extent it is. And I think um, it can make it quite a difficult environment for young players coming through. And I think Bruce Anderson screams are the type of player that needs to sign for something like a bottom six club, be a starter every week and then see where his career goes from there. Yeah, I don't think, I agree with that. I think he's added a bit of quality to this Aki's front line that they were missing and I agree with Tony's point that he's kind of given them an extra dimension and if he can stay fit and that's just a big if for like everybody at Hamilton right now because they've lost so many players to injuries this campaign but if he can stay fit and I mean I'm going to expect some sort of regression from the weekend's performance especially but if Ross Callaghan can kind of stay in the form he's been in this season or Vadoffin can stay in the form he has for a lot of the season as well so we're not just talking about guys who played well for a couple of weeks like Ogunpo has been pretty poor for a lot of this campaign but if he can close this season the way he closed last year and the back three's kind of starting to look a little bit more solid than they have done then I'm starting to look at all these pieces and thinking they're going to bloody do it again aren't they like it's just on paper they still have in my my mind the weakest squad going but Anderson's just given them that little bit something different that little bit of quality in attack in terms of somebody who can you know uh, control the ball naturally and I mean yeah, I mean, I know Ogunpo scored and, and Moyo scored as well. Ogunpo was a little bit lucky with, I think, Mugabe could have tackled it off him, but Moyo's was a really nice finish. But typically, those are guys that, when they, especially when they play together, there, there's no kind of subtlety to their game at all. It's just two bruisers trying to make it as life as difficult as possible. And just having somebody different in there, like Anderson, gives their attack more balance. It also kind of helps uh, Callahan as well, who is basically... I mean, you can look at the Aki system and say it was a... Uh, like a three, a three five two, uh, but it's probably more a three four three. With, with Callahan obviously not kind of down as a striker, but very advanced. He's certainly more advanced than midfield. And if you look to their average positions on Wisecout, he was his average position was more advanced than Ogunpo. So they basically are playing with front three, and he's on fire right now as well. Like, like even though he was behind Anderson and Adolphin in terms of kind of the standouts against him otherwise. He's just popping up in so many areas. It seems to have this role he's got within the team where he is an out-and-out proper number 10 and he's been given that responsibility. Seems to be getting the best out of him because, as we know as Hearts fans, Ross Callahan's best strength is finding those gaps to attack in the final third. Yeah, and late runs into the box and stuff. I think he scored a goal like that on his debut for Hearts. Um, but he started off really well for Hearts, but just kind of got nosedived a wee bit in a... In a, in a poor team, even though I still don't think he quite would have made it at Hearts. Um, I, 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 I certainly don't think uh, you can single him out in that team or anything like that. But yeah, he has, you're right, he has been pushed forward into a number 10 role. They've kind of, at first I think it was him and Callum Smith who's not really done it this season and they've been missing a couple of other players through injury that they maybe would have had in those positions. And yeah, Callahan stepped up into the role and done brilliantly. Uh, you worried about Motherwell at all? Nah, I wouldn't say worried. This is... This is another one of those fixtures that they just seem to struggle with no matter how much form they're in. And I think that if you just put this down a bad day at the office, you can even excuse yourself a little bit with the red card, even though I think Hamilton were worth their 4-1 with or without the the red card. But I think 
given how Alexander started, what he inherited, I think you can just put this down to uh, a bad day at the office. And um, I think I think they'll they'll be enough to they'll have enough to stay up. I think they, they sorely miss Gallagher for this game. I'm a little bit concerned because I still don't think they've really rectified a lot of the problems from Robinson's tenure in that they don't have any wingers that are any good. Like, they didn't really go in, as far as I can remember, I don't think they signed anybody in January, did they, playing the wing? No, not that I can think of. No, they got Smith, they got the centre half, uh, there was somebody else I'm forgetting. So, I suppose they've still got Hasty uh, maybe coming back in, I don't know. <laughs> Gear up on him. <laughs> so, I suppose if you look at aye, if you look at the sides and you compare them to Ross County and, and Hamilton, there's definitely an, a lot of, of talent there, but I just don't know if they've had their manager bounce under Alexander and things kind of changing from him to, to Robinson, then that would be a bit of a worry for me because it just still seems like there's a lot of the same issues with, with the team itself and you know a different personality in the dugout I think they're just, it just seems like they're banking on that a bit more rather than actually sorting the problems that they had like on the park. And maybe that was all that was wrong anyway, but I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit concerned. Don't think they will, uh, like you, but I would, certainly would be surprised if they finished 10th and it was quite nervy from now until the end of the season. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that played out either, but I still think they've got enough individual... Even even if there's um, there, there's kind of there's structural errors in that team, I still think they've got enough individual quality and a decent spine, and I, I think they'll be fine. Right, let's move on to the game that you watched live on Saturday. Dundee against Livingston. Dundee United had a man sent off in the first half. They were 1-0 up at the time. Didn't stop them at all. They then went 2-0 up. Livy had a man sent off, and finally United winning 3-0 with Lauren Shankland uh, getting on the score sheet twice. Craig, what was your main takeaway for this one? That uh, I got the good pick of the games for this podcast. I think Joel's got uh, Aberdeen St Mirren and a 1-0 with Rangers. So, uh, yeah, good luck to him. Um, yeah, this was a really interesting one. It was full of incident. It was, I mean, a bit of a surprise result. I wouldn't say it was an absolute shock. I mean, I think 3-0, Dundee United were well worth it. But um, Livingston still had a bit of the game without really creating anything. I was I was, a, I was kind of hesitating from saying it wasn't really a 3-0. It was a wee bit closer than that. But at the same time, I think Dundee United really deserved the... Even even with 10 men, they were the better team. And the last two weeks, the biggest difference is it's looked more like an actual football formation and they've got the ball to Shankland in the box and he scored three times. Yes, they, they have actually started to look like, as I said on uh, last week's View for the Terrace, they, they look like a, a football team now at both ends of the park rather than just one that could be fairly well organised and dogged defensively. And it was another... Uh, and also as well, Mellon kind of fixed the one problem for last weekend, which was that Mark McNulty wasn't any good in the in the, in the the game against Ross County. He was taken out for Lewis... Uh, Appery, thank you. <laughs> and Appery certainly was uh, more effective. He made, he wasn't outstanding by any means, but he made a lot of kind of intelligent runs, uh, including for the second goal to help uh, kind of free up space for Shankland. He just looked a lot more comfortable uh, coming in off the right. He was, to be fair to, to be fair to McNulty, Appery was playing a little bit more narrow and United were playing a bit more narrow in general than they were in the in the game up at, up at County the other week which I think probably would have helped McNulty as well but Perry certainly showed that he was the right man to come in uh, Sporla Sporla as well on the left you think if he's going to be playing on the left he's going to be kind of hugging the touchline or at least close to that he was very narrow as well it's kind of evidenced by the by the goal in the first minute where there's basically just three strikers in the box for Jamie Robson to, to try and hit with a cross and talking you were mentioning there uh, saying 
like I thought that Livy had a spell not long before the red card where they looked like the better side and the team more likely to score the next goal and I don't know whether because the, the second goal came so quickly after the red card that I don't know whether it was that that completely knocked the stuffing out of them and they just for that point forward didn't believe that they could get anything from the game or whether they just didn't really know how to attack United after the red because United done what Rangers have done throughout the Gerrard's yeah, time in charge of the club yeah. Uh, instead of instead of when you get a man set off as most teams do go to two banks of four and one person up front uh, they instead uh, went with a 4-3-2 uh, so it's basically just keeping it narrow give the wings up hope you'll protect your box whenever crosses come in and they weren't really even troubled that much for the rest of the game J. Emmanuel Thomas missed a great chance at, at 2-0 which again might have given them a lift and might have made things different but you know, but Livingston looked a lot kind of more dangerous before who went to 10 and I just think it was probably a combination of just giving having that second goal and deflating them a little and also just feeling a bit discombobulated against what they were trying to play against but it seems now that any time a team goes down to 10 men if you go two banks of four and one up front your, your manager probably deserves to be sacked <laughs> you're just inviting the game aren't you yeah it was pretty good and not only that he took off the goal scorer at the time as well which um it wasn't even like a decision, like you know what I mean. He, all the sentiment was taken out of that decision. He, it wasn't like, oh well, this guy's scored and is on a high. I need to shoehorn him into the system somehow. It was like, no, he has to, he has to be sacrificed. And the guy that came on was possibly man of the match. He was involved in absolutely everything. Harks when he came on, and that's the. I, I think he's not the best player to start against Livingston. I can see that he's not. He's not the battling type, but um, in a game like that that's open, he really came into his own. And, and, and right, I mean, his first touch was to pretty much was to play that through ball for Shanklin, which was one of the passes of the game. He gets Fitzwater sent off when I know it's not a red card, but he gets Fitzwater sent off. He's involved in another chance down that side just after half time. I think, is he involved in the third goals I can't remember but he, he was just he, it was an absolutely fantastic performance from Harks and it was a really inspired substitution at that point in the game from Mellon I'm going to shock you I actually think it was a red card looking at it again it, there is more space to run into than I first anticipated when, when I first thought I, I, I thought it was a ridiculous noticed, decision when I first thought I thought it was a ridiculous decision I thought there's plenty covered there what the hell is the referee doing I think you should always get it air on the side of a yellow card in those instances as well but when you look again I think it's it's a very strange one it's a strange because of the angle he's attacking the box at like coming right on to like the point of the where you, yeah I don't know the point of the box like I don't know, I don't know what other word there is to describe it like <laughs> it's running parallel to the goal like that point at the edge of the box he's kind of running diagonally through that which is not the typical thing you see an attacker doing there is Nicky Devlin uh, alongside and there's also Julian Serrano, Serrano coming yeah. in for the other side now when Hearts hits the deck it looks like there's plenty of opportunity for if not Devlin to, to get there and put a challenge in there at least Serrano coming across to, to narrow the angle and to make it maybe not a quite clear and obvious goal scored opportunity however added to the kind of complication is that Harks takes a like over a second at least to go down and that's because he's initially trying to hurdle over Fitzwater and it all kind of plays out almost slow motion he's kind of like puts one leg over tries to put another leg over eventually gets tangled up and eventually because the hurdle keeps rising yeah ah, he's, he's, he's trying his best to get 
like over it and just get through himself. But he eventually has to go down. Now, if we take if we take the kind of still frame of it at the point that he goes down, then you say that looks like a ridiculous decision. If you go back to the point where the contact starts, I think at that point, if he's not impeded, I think he gets a clear run at goal. And whether the referee actually saw this at the time, I don't know. I think there's possibly that the fact that he was just kind of making it up for the earlier red card, which I didn't think was. Um, it's kind of one of those ones, Pollock goes over the top of the ball. As soon as players do that, you're always in trouble regardless of your intent. But I didn't think there was enough force in it for it to be a straight red. Um, but it, it did kind of, it did kind of scream at the referee like wanting to make, do it as a kind of makeup call if he was unsure about the earlier one. Maybe he would have a look at it at half time or whatever. But I do actually think in the end it was the the second one was the right decision, even as it's kind of unusual as it looked. Yeah, I think the first one is one of those ones where you can find a freeze frame where it looks really bad, but when you see it in real time, there's not excessive force there. I know he's gone over the ball, um, but I don't think there's either excessive force there or has he endangered Jason Holt. It's just like a it's just a bang on his on his shin really. And um yeah, I, I wouldn't say that was a red card, but I, it is one of those ones that you can see people freeze framing on social media and saying, look, it's a leg breaker. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. And yeah, did they help uh, to get to give Livy a little bit of slack? I mean the first you lose a goal quite early. It was a bit poor for their point of view, so you kind of dig yourselves a hole. Uh, oh, by the way, did you hear the, the shouts from the dugout uh, <laughs> screaming at Josh Mullen in the build-up? Stop the cross! And then <laughs> and then when the cross, it does they stop the cross, it goes in. Uh, and then it's like, it's like a delay of about three seconds. Well, all, you can actually hear this on the SPFL YouTube one. You don't even have to uh, watch it on Wisecout. Uh, well, the United players were celebrating. You can hear the same voice again, and I'm just going to assume it's David Martindale. Uh, he shouts, Oh, stop the cross! <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> but they lose that one, and then Robinson goes off, and J. Emmanuel Thomas, uh, he's, ever since his first kind of month or so, He's had games where he's looked alright and effective. I thought he was pretty murder in this. So this wasn't the pitch for him. I think he, despite how tall he is, he's like a ball and defeat player. And um, again, I think it's why he's not. St- you, you pick Robinson at the moment on form and yeah. as your strongest team, yes. But I, I think um, J. Emmanuel Thomas is maybe a little bit of a horses for courses player at the moment, and I think that was definitely not the pitch to play him on. And I, 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 I he wouldn't have come on. Um, Unless they really needed him to in that game, I don't think, because he's he's the one chance he did have. I'm not giving him the excuse of the pitch, but it, it maybe it maybe played a little bit of a part. And uh, just final word, Shankland. Not only is he managing to, to score goals um, and and get more chances, they're getting managed and get more bodies close to him and, and feeding him a lot more. But he just kind of looks a lot sharper as well than he did early in the season. And I don't know if that's just a confidence thing or, or whatever, or maybe it did take him time to get used to the, the rigours of the top flight. And some players, uh, maybe it, it takes more time than others. But, I mean, it's certainly no longer uh, a foregone conclusion that Kevin Nisbet's going to take his place in the Scotland squad. In fact, if the squad for the Euros was like announced tomorrow, you wouldn't actually be surprised at all if, if Shanklin kept his place over Nisbet and it, it'll be quite an intriguing battle between the two of them between now and the end of the campaign yeah I totally agree with that I think Clark would have been looking at that yesterday and thinking yeah that was that was always there and and, and glad to see it coming back I think with Shankland as well it's easy to forget that he had a little bit of disruption earlier this season as well with injury and then 
there seemed to be a point where he was fit but wasn't getting picked and whether that was to do with the constant speculation and Mickey Mellon was protecting him a bit it, it did seem like there was something going on there because when he came back he was on the bench for a fair bit and so yeah I think I think it's easy to remember sorry it's easy to forget that he had a bit of a disruption earlier this season and it's his first season back in the top flight and I don't know I did really agree with the um questioning that he was getting after the game that it was he was kind of like being questioned as if he had have you scored enough goals are you happy with your um tally this season and he was just kind of like well yeah I've scored a similar amount of goals to other players at bigger clubs other strikers at bigger clubs and I, I, I don't know I find that I don't know. I thought it was a bit of a disrespectful question, to be honest. <laughs> a bit of a drilling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's just a young lad making his way in the game. <laughs> First ever season in the top flight, unless you count, obviously, his kind of sub-appearances for Aberdeen. Right, so let's uh, move on to the, the final game that we, we'll be covering. Uh, Celtic against St. John's... Oh, sorry, St. Johnson against Celtic. Celtic got a goal down, but managed to dig out the win. A 2-1 victory in what was not a particularly great game of football on, on Sunday afternoon, was it? Not really. I think it was interesting enough in the first half for how Johnston, sorry, so how St Johnston set up and how they nullified Celtic up until they took. I mean, in fact, other than a five-minute spell, St Johnston's performance was really good, and it was a continuation of this uh, well well-drilled system with some cracking individual players in it that. Um, Callum Davidson's, uh, let's be honest, stuck by since the start of the season, when even when he wasn't getting results. And I think one of the most interesting things about the team is that uh, his central midfield pairings seems to change from week to week. Now, this was pointed out in an article uh, in Eric Nicholson's column with The Courier a, a few weeks ago, he mentioned that, uh, and it's something like nine or ten matches in a row now, he's changed his midfield pairing. And I was having a look at it, because usually you, usually it's more common to have like a spine and then other positions out with that kind of change. But the constants in this St. Johnson team appear to be the back three, the wing backs. I think there's a little bit of rotation in the in the tens, I think, and then Kane's kind of nailed down that 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 striker's position. But it's quite interesting that they and I wonder if it's because those two midfielders are we're playing a lot of games at the moment and those two midfielders are expected to cover a lot of ground. They're both basically bots to bots midfielders because they're not uh yeah, they're not playing. They're playing up against the three a lot of the time, and they're usually in the three back three systems. The, the the wing backs are expected to be two of the fittest players in the pitch and cover a lot of ground. But it seems like the two central midfielders are in in this system as well. I, I just found it quite interesting. Uh, it's funny you are the exact same as me. You uh, haven't watched the game the first time. I assume you watched it live. Uh, and yeah. You, I, I didn't notice as well. Uh, it wasn't until I watched it a little bit back today just to kind of have a, another quick look over, uh, just kind of forward, fast forward a lot of it, uh, but just kind of getting a, an idea of kind of the, the shape of players' movements and stuff. They actually played a 3-5-2. Witherspoon wasn't part of the front three, or at least... Ah, uh, okay. He played deeper the week before as well, actually. Yeah, he was he was part of a midfield three, and it, he still was the most advanced one whenever they had the attack, so sometimes it still looked like they had the, the three up top, but Conway was basically a centre-forward, and... Well, it kind of makes sense, and I kind of get why they did it, because I think you see, around about the time when they scored, I think that was their most kind of threatening period of the match, because they had Conway's chance not long before it. And both of those moves, I think, went with what Davidson was probably hoping for with this change, was that have Wotherspoon kind of 
on his usual side, but have him like as part of a midfield three so he can maybe be a bit more central if he wants this. So he's got license to roam about. And then the same with Conway. So you saw that for kind of both chances. Conway's move, Conway's kind of starting off on the right. Willisman comes over. Conway then kind of drifts inside. They move the ball out to Rooney. They get the cross in. Conway has a great turn and then probably should do better than the finish. And then on the other flank, only a couple of minutes later for Rooney's goal, it's Conway drifting over to help out Wotherspoon. And you maybe don't get quite as much of that movement. And if you've got two tens, you can maybe do that against a weaker opponent. But against Celtic, you probably want to keep your defensive shape a bit more. And also kind of having Witherspoon a little bit deeper probably allows for that as well, to have one more man in the centre of the park so that you're not... You're definitely not getting overrun there, especially since Celtic are, are playing with a, a diamond. No, fucking a diamond with an extra midfielder on top of it as well. So basically, five set midfielders in the Celtic, Celtic team. Celtic weren't playing a diamond. Celtic were playing, let's get all our best players on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, let's be doing that a lot this season. Yeah, I'll, I'll come on to that in a second. But I did, um, I did wonder whether... I suppose they were a bit unlucky, St. Johnson, um, like you say, they still were, had a very kind of good game plan. It was just like a five-minute spell that let them down. And also as well, if you see the start of that move, and all it is is like a simple ball uh, played like in behind Kerr, and Kerr kind of misreads the situation slightly, thinks that Christie's going to cross first time, Christie takes an extra touch, uh, Kerr's kind of committed himself. Without that, you know, it's maybe St. Johnson going to, to win the game, or if not, get a point. But at the start of that move, Sean Rooney was so advanced that he was level with Conway, like at the point of the attack, it looked like a three-four-three at that point. But Rooney was was the other forward. He just know. scored from that position. To be fair, yeah. I, I wonder out, if they well, just got a little too excited at that point, and maybe you just yeah, want to keep, keep it uh, a little bit tighter for the next I don't know ten minutes or so, and then maybe try and pick them off on, on the counter as they get a bit desperate. But yeah, so that was but Celtic. So we've said a lot this season that the. Um, Usually when the play, teams play Rangers, the operation was a success, but the patient died. For Celtic, this one, the operation was a was a massive failure, but the patient somehow miraculously survived anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, bits of individual brilliance. I mean, there were other parts in the game where Celtic showed that. Um, in the first half, when Rogic... I mean, so Johnston will be a little bit disappointed with a couple of chances that they gave up in the first half. One of them was just absolutely magic from Rogic when he was like almost in the right back position and he like spun somebody, played a one two, and then they kind of the counter attack. Other than that, there wasn't too much from Celtic, but at the goals, the, the dummy from Christie, the the spin from from Edward, the, it was yeah, it was just it was just um, individual brilliance that did it. But that's 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 how Neil Lennon manages. They weren't that great against it, but him. Something clicked towards the end of the game and he brought Christie on and he thought, Well I've got to I've got to get Christie in this team and you know what I mean? It was like it was Christie up front and, and Rogic is a shuttler and it's it's just like that's even though they've come out of this game with a win, that's still square pole square Square pegs and round holes. Yeah, definitely. God, I don't know why I struggled with that one so much, but <laughs> I, mean, I, but I don't mean it being so negative against Celtic. I mean that I, that that's that's four wins in a row in a row now, isn't it? Like, they've beaten Kilmarnock, St Mirren, Motherwell, and St Johnston. So yeah. who am I? To, who you can still see why Celtic fans are saying this isn't really getting that much better. Though we're just managing to win these games through the fact that we have quality players. So it was pointed out with uh, the thread on Twitter from the Celtic uh, analytics. Um, Twitter page where he was kind of pointing out the, the great chances that Kelly had throughout that game and that they just couldn't take advantage of because they were, uh, well, Kelly were and still are in dog shit form. And then you had the Smith game where the Smith game, yep, the one four 
4-0, but they were pretty rubbish for the first 70 minutes. And the Hanging Motherwell, on against Motherwell. Aye, the Motherwell game, yeah, they were very fortunate not to concede a, a like 92nd minute equaliser. And this game as well, where again they're a bit, it's not, there isn't a lot to say, because there's, it's not just about winning games with Celtic. Uh, you need to, because they're expected to win every game. The fans want to see it done with a little bit of conviction and to see that a lot of these players are performing to the best of their abilities. And it's still not the case when you've got Christie, Turnbull, Rodgick, all kind of standing on top of each other. Um, they managed to get the win, but it's because they've got Ryan Christie's a quality player. He's he's played below par this season, but he's still undeniably one of the best players in this league. He showed a couple of moments of magic, and Edward now six games scoring in a row, when he clearly fancies it, and he does it at the moment, because he knows, he's maybe realised that this is his best chance of actually being able to leave Celtic, as if he plays well, and they sell him in the summer, because he's only got one year left on his contract, then he better start, if he wants to get the kind of move he wants, he's going to have to start scoring goals, so, funny that, he started to score again, but in terms of giving Neil Lennon any credit, nah, fuck that. <laughs> Yeah, and that statement that's just gone out a few hours before we've come on to record this as well, it's just utter contempt for the fans. It's like, I'm going to address the concerns that you've all been getting in contact with us about and then goes on to not address the one big thing that everybody's been going on about. Doesn't even mention the manager, doesn't even mention a manager, never mind the manager's name. And it's it's Tory behaviour. It's just utter contempt for your audience. Yeah. Uh, better not go into this too much because I will be talking about this on the Patreon with Joel. So, <laughs> but okay, you, no you've, you've given your input, <laughs> and I think we're going to echo a lot of that and maybe extrapolate a bit more and go, go through that 681 shambles. Uh, right, thank you very much for joining me, Craig. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Cheers, Fowler. Cheers. Right, we finish off today's podcast by welcoming on Joel Sked. Joel, how's it going? Yeah, it was, it was fine until I was made to watch the Aberdeen game. <laughs> uh, Fella, I struggled to struggle to stay awake, so um, I've only just only just finished watching it. I had it on uh, at times, had it on times three, and it still wasn't that exciting. Rubbish. Yeah, that didn't look like the, the best the best of football matches. Then, but we'll park that one to the side for now. Uh, save save the worst till last, and we'll begin with the game which. I mean, to be honest, it didn't look a whole lot better, uh, but at least there was a goal. Uh, a very good goal at that, at Ibrox. Rangers winning 1-0 against Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock putting up a, a decent fight, uh, undone in the first half by a spectacular volley from Ryan Jack. We'll start by kind of looking more at the visitors, because, you know, well, Rangers, it's, it's possession by this point. They've only got five wins left, I think, to, to grab the title, and they're, you know, almost... I mean, 99.9% certain to do so. Uh, I mean, they're probably like 90% to do so just in the next five games, uh, let alone uh, doing it in, in general, because you wouldn't think that Celtic would win every match between now and the end of the season. So let's uh, start with Kelly. Do you see any improvements in the away side at, at Ibrox? Uh, Attacking-wise, no. No, they, are, uh, they were really, really... Uh, toothless. I think their their XG was zero point zero three. Wow. They had a 
Greg Kilty shot, which was which was about so yeah. Any time they went to the final third, just when they were build, building up play, you just knew that they they weren't going to threaten Rangers at all. Uh, so I watched the uh, so I watched the first half on Saturday when it was live, and then watched the rest today. And on Saturday, I was just so unimpressed with Kabamba, especially his first half performance. Everything that went up to him. It was, it came with essentially. I was going to say essentially came straight back. I didn't. It just went back to back to Rangers. He he struggled to link play. Didn't hold the ball up and release pressure. A lot of second touches were attempt. Well, attempted second touches were tackles. Uh, it, was, it was really poor from the kind of the the, the attacking side. The defensively. Um, I thought they were, they were okay. Di had a few really really. Dodgy moments, but I quite like the look of the new signing Medley. He he seems very very composed, also quite quick, big kind of dominating, and you can see that. I think if Kamara Carters get out the bottom, score goals, look dangerous, then they need to play Malumbu and uh, Tishbola in the middle. It's Kelly fans may disagree with me with that, but they, if Kelly were going to do anything against Rangers, it looked like it would come from come from those those two. So when you say them together in the middle, do you mean as a three or do you just mean as a two? Uh, probably as a three, I would try and push Malumbu as high as possible because obviously under when he first came to Kelly, I was I was sort of him when he was in the Premier League as a defensive midfielder. Then he came to Kelly and he looked pretty good at, if not quite, uh, quite being that kind of number ten. Certainly being a, a player who can, who can join midfield and attack together and create and certainly create chances as well. So just because I just look around the, the Kilmarnock final third and there's not a lot of so Kelty played, McKenzie played, McKenzie's average position was essentially on top of uh, Houndstrup. So it was just. Uh, my, my fear for Kamarak is just the, just a lack of punch in the final third, and it was evident again today. But I think Chupola uh, and Malumbu have the capacity of getting the ball into those areas that they might be able to do something. But they have uh, they have made a signing as somebody who certainly in the past has given Scottish Premiership teams a little punch in attack in Kyle Lafferty. Yes, thirty three year old Kyle Lafferty. Uh, more top, more clubs than Tiger Woods, I think the same would go. And <laughs> on the face of it, I think it's the kind of sign that Kelly need. But this could easily be a disaster as well, couldn't it? Yes. Kel Lafferty is not someone I'm a massive fan of, but he has got... His finishing ability at times is, is incredible. I always go back to that Celt- the goal against Celtic in the 4-0 win, is that he, he took it so early, and I remember hitting it thinking, why the hell are you shooting from there? But uh, especially that f- uh, finish where he's on the right-hand side of the box and he's shooting a cross goal, he's really, really good at it. My kind of big issue is that the, like just the composition of a Kelly team, who kind of plays with Lafferty because you do need legs around him because he's not going to do a lot of running. I don't think he's the best at holding the ball up. I think he's okay at link and play, but you need you need you need someone to create chances for him, and there's just just lacking so much creativity. It's it, it, it's incredible. Yeah, they really have. It's, it's been startling how kind of quickly because as I got to the point, I think everybody blamed Alex Dyer um, 
but now you're kind of you're right. You're suddenly kind of looking at that team and going, eh, maybe we were overestimating it a wee bit earlier this season. And because you're right, like the, the lack of creativity is quite is quite galling at, at the moment. And somebody's going to need to step up. Kelty's had moments this season. Uh, mm-hmm. If if he can, if he can get out a bit of form, also as well, Chris Burke, not starting this one was maybe I think. I mean, we're kind of talking about killing a lack of creativity. While they had a, a, a kind of a lot of players push forward, you wonder whether some of the personnel going with just one up top in Kibamba, who's you know barring that game against Celtic hasn't really looked that great, and as like a as a lone attacker, you've also got Burke playing very well in the midweek game against Muddle. Yeah, they didn't score, but he looked one of the more dangerous players. He drops out for McKenzie. This was probably, even though they were kind of pushing numbers forward, as was highlighted on the sports scene, it, it was still probably a, a lot to do with kind of damage limitation and thinking that they needed to kind of concentrate more on stopping Rangers than doing their own thing. And they'll maybe look a lot better once, um, not necessarily when Lafferty comes in, but just like in, in future games where they're going to have, there's more, going to be more emphasis on going out and trying to score goals. Yeah, definitely. I think they needed to... Um it could just be a mindset thing as well especially I think they've got a a good run coming up in terms of uh, up to the top, uh, the split and then obviously they'll be playing teams around them in the, the bottom six is uh, just the maybe just the position they play is, uh, even if they're playing further up the pitch they're getting bodies further up the pitch and when that happens you naturally kind of create better opportunities and that's what uh, that, that's what they'll need for Lafferty. I don't think Lafferty isn't the for me wasn't the type of striker that they required. They, they needed someone like the easy the easy, um, easy one to to go to is uh, Greg Stewart. They didn't really re- replace Eamon Brophy. You look at Bruce Anderson. I know it's easy to say with hindsight now because how effective he's been for uh, for Aki's. It's just. Uh, I just think there's it's just been a pretty disastrous shambolic season for Kelly just in terms of the the timing of everything when they what then um Dyer left they really could have just done that could have done with that happening a few weeks previously so Tommy Wright actually had a bit of time in the the window to uh, to put stuff together essentially three or four signings in January have been uh, been signed by the club or like kind of James Fowler and uh, he's kind of just having to essentially deal with the team he's been handed until the end of the season so it's uh, he's certainly not coming to uh, uh, he's not coming to an easy uh, an, an easy position Okay looking at Rangers anything worth <laughs> anything worth talking about so I think the, probably the two biggest po- uh, the two positives for me in terms of Rangers performance. I think well, sorry, three. So basically, got the result. That's that. That's the main thing. That's fine. That's all that all that they really care about. Especially against Kamarak, who have caused them trouble in the past, and the fact that Kelly were very stuffy. Uh, they made they made it difficult for them, especially in the first half. I was relatively impressed with some of the stuff Kelly did uh, in the first half in terms of kind of stopping Rangers. They were maybe listening to the com- Rangers TV commentators, and they were pointing out about how uh, Kelly were were doing well to break up play and uh, with like kind of smart fills, and they, they they did do that. So it was always one of the one of those games without Roof, without uh, Morelos, uh, Kamara wasn't playing that they just kind of. 
just get the three points, kind of move on, especially with the European uh, Europe League starting up again. Uh, so that obviously that was the main positive. Another positive was Scott Arfield. He was he came back. I think it's been. Um, one thing he gives them more than anyone else is that vertical, uh, verticality from the midfield to mm-hmm. run on uh, run beyond strikers, and I think that kind of ties in with the third positive, and that Cedric Keaton. I was relatively impressed with uh, with what I saw from. There was an incident. I think you kind of you saw what he's good at and what he isn't good at. So there was an incident in the second half where Shabola gave the ball to Shabola gave the ball. And I always forget how to pronounce that. Uh, gave the ball away in the middle of the. Uh, middle of the park just a really slack pass and it was straight to straight to eat him and or did it go essentially it ended up at eating anyway and he had basically could run it goal 1v1 if that was Morelos or Roof they would have just been into the box like a, uh, in a flash and get their shot away Eaton was he's not he's not the quickest and he was kind of hesitant when he got into the box so it was kind of uh, and it ended up just I think the, the shot got blocked but what he's what he is good at is he's good at being a target. He's good at occupying defenders. But again, similar to kind of similar to what I said about Lafferty, is that he needs bodies, um, not necessarily beside them, running beyond them because he he does like to play. He does like to play the ball quickly. So if, rather if the ball comes into him, he would quite like to um, kind of pass it first time or flick it around the corner and combine with players. So, but I think there's a, there was a lot there to... I think a lot for kind of Gerrard and Rangers fans to be happy with with what, what they've seen in, uh, seen in Cedric Keane. Yeah, and uh, if you're going to win the game 1-0, what a goal to, to win it on. Yeah, absolutely. The... I mean the finish was absolutely spectacular but for me it was the it was a touch it seemed like uh, Jack it, sometimes you get goals where they, they end up the, the I'm just trying to think of was it uh, Ruben Neves for Wolves and my knowledge of uh, Premier League has gone to pot <laughs> you're uh, asking me as well <laughs> yeah, yeah I know um, I remember how he scored and he's got an absolute peach of a ball I think he's done it twice where he's taken a touch uh, the ball's come down from a decent distance he's taken a touch and without it hitting the ground but like both times like the touch or certainly one of the times he's touched ended up kind of behind him and he had to almost dig out the volley which kind of made it even better the finish but with Jack it just seemed it just seemed with the touch and the finish it just seemed all measured and it was it was, it was just fantastic I think having him back and Davis back some of the combination play that Rangers did play, uh, did play at times was was excellent but yeah that, that goal was was stunning all right, Joel. Let's let's get to it. Let's get it over with. Aberdeen nil, Submarine nil. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it was it, it was it was a hard watch. I think, but I think the first fall is you, to begin with. You didn't really notice the wind, and then Dean Campbell played this pass, and you you're thinking that is an absolute cracking uh, pass just be the, the arc he got on the ball but it was just the fact that he tried to play it to was it Niall McGinn made a run down the right hand side I think he tried to play it to Niall McGinn and it ended up going uh, it just ended up just going central the wind took it central and ended up being a, a, almost a really really nice ball and so the wind was just was just horrible Joe Lewis had difficulty taking a um, taking a couple of goal kicks or free kicks uh, Cammy McPherson certainly had trouble taking a free kick and uh, a, a corner as well so the wind didn't help matters but it was just it was just one of those games where the ball just bounced around there was there was no 
compare it to Rangers where they would have sustained possession and build attacks there was no building of attacks from St Mirren and Aberdeen the ball was just uh, was just bouncing around loose passes loose touches uh, passing it back to the opposition it just kind of giving away the ball the ball cheaply and it just made for a really 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 scrappy match I think um just one thing we would like kind of looking at the stats afterwards one thing that stood out was uh I wanted to check this because I was watching the game and I was thinking I've made my mind up prior uh, last week I think it was when I was watching Aberdeen and uh, this only emphasised the point Fraser Hornby is not for me I was looking forward to him coming to Aberdeen just because obviously his time with Scotland on the 21s he was my favourite and didn't play a lot he didn't play he's not played a lot of first team football so I wanted to see what he was like and I've been really really unimpressed so he was on the pitch for he played 79 minutes and he had 90 actions which was the most of any Aberdeen player so have a guess at his <laughs> percentage rate of in terms of success rate so just to give you a just to give you a kind of a feeling of other players so Ross McCrory so he had 81 actions 59% Tommy Hoban 77 actions 66% even Johnny Hayes 81 actions 47% so Fraser Hornby had 90 actions have a guess at his, his, his success rate well Strikers tend strikers actions tend to be a lot lower in terms of percentages because it's just kind of a harder position to play. So there's a lot of stuff like going up for a header where you most of the time you're not fancied because you're you try to flick it on backwards and stuff, and a defender's got usually got the run on you. Uh, you know things of that instance. You're trying stuff a lot more, so passes don't come off because you're you know trying to find through balls in the final third of that nature. So it's generally quite low, even when strikers have good games. So I'm trying to guess whether you know that or not <laughs> when you're thinking how low this is, because I've seen some uh, absolute shockers this season. So I'm going to guess 25%. Oh, okay. Okay. So because of your your knowledge beforehand, that says it's it's not worked out in my favour. <laughs> so it has. His success rate was 32%. So, in comparison, Camberry was 43%. And obviously, Camberry was playing in a. Uh, was basically playing as a, as a second striker. A deeper role. Yes. Fraser Hornby had, uh, out of the, the players who started, had the second worst passing success rate. He gave the ball away the second most. Um, and almost the most times in his own half as well. Yeah, it was just. I think uh, I think I burst your bubble a wee bit that because uh, that's not too bad considering uh, earlier this season. I'm pretty sure I saw David Moyo Ibrox had like 19 percent successful actions. Well, you, you can understand that because it's Hamilton at Rangers. Well, this is Aberdeen at home to home yeah, to Yeah, I suppose I. So what just... is it, what is it about him? Is he just too too lumbering? Too. Yeah, I don't think. <laughs> I think the potentially the physicality is on the, he's a big laddie but he doesn't really impose himself that much his first touch don't see it I, I don't see that um, kind of like a straight striker shows aggression in terms of wanting to get into scoring position wants to get in the box I don't see that for, for Hornby and I don't see a lot of aggression from his his, his game overall uh, so if, if, if a player epitomised the woefulness of this encounter I think it, uh, I think it was Fraser Hornby Fair enough uh, St Mirren uh, 
big news for Samirn today is that Jim Goodwin signed a new three and a well, basically a, a three and a bit year contract. He mm. won't run into won't run out till the summer of two thousand and twenty four. Tony Fitzpatrick also made the point in the club statement that he is going to be the highest paid manager in the club's history, which is, I mean, if you're like the manager of, I don't know, some English league jobber that goes up and then is in the top half of the EPL and then like, oh, we've made Mm. this guy the highest paid boss in our history. Well, you go, well, obviously, because you know they're in the English Premier League and there's a lot of money. But I mean, it's been the same amount of money in Scottish football flying around since like the fucking 90s. So this is probably like a quite a good thing for Goodwin to have. That, um, I mean, I'm not sure, to be fair, Sabrina have had kind of a few kind of barren spells over that period. Uh, so you could maybe just say that congratulations you're paid more than Daddy Lennon. But it's, it's still still a nice thing for, for, for the manager to have. And uh, what did you think of their performance on Saturday? Uh, it, was, it was okay. I hear kind of a lot of good things about them, but it seems that every time I tune in, they've been been okay at, at best. Um, they started with... They started with a four four two with Dylan Connolly up front as I was and playing off Irwin, which I found strange to begin with with the fact that Irwin started and Obiko was on the bench. But I was just wondering if um a case of trying to get in behind that Aberdeen kinda of exposing um the lack of pace between Hoban and Constantine at centre back. But it wasn't long before Connolly moved out to the wing and then Flynn was moved centrally and then uh, Cam McPherson came on at half time and he played as more advanced of the three midfielders. He I thought he had a positive impact. I thought there was a bit more more direction to it. But I think it's a in general it's a good point for uh, a good point for Samirin. They didn't look like they were going to concede. But Marcus Fraser again had had pretty good game, not been a big fan of him for the last eighteen months to twenty-four months. Uh, so I think just a, a relatively solid, fine points from St Mirren. And given Goodwin a three-year deal on generous wages, I think maybe a way to put it, a good idea? Or is this going to blow up in their face at some point? No, I think... I do think myself that Goodwin has kind of shown signs of improvement. Um, yeah, I, th- I think so. I think there's there's enough there's enough over the last 18 months. He, last season was his first season, wasn't it? As St Mirren boss uh, Last season feels like about a billion years ago So I'm trying to, to think Last season was uh, Yeah it was yeah Yeah I think it's so I think there's been enough there for St Mirren fans to Be uh, Confident with that there's, they're, they're progressing the right uh, in the right direction we talked about before that he came in last season he's I think his recruitment's been pretty good and he's he's signed well he's fixed the defence he has um, completely kind of overhauled overhauled the midfield he's and working they look a bit more dangerous in attack now so I, th- I think I think it's it, it should be good business at any time someone signs a long t- a, a deal that's more than two years at Scot- in Scottish football. I always like yeah. deemed destined for failure. That there's just so much variable to go in at every yeah. single top flight season. But there's so many clubs that can just completely change position, have a great campaign one year, completely fall through the door like trap door the next. I mean, look at like Jackie Batten Marek Dundee United for example. Everybody thought he was doing such a terrific job until. 
he, he started doing a completely disastrous job and you don't want to kind of be tied down to making a change if it's needed if you've got a manager with kind of like an albatross contract that you don't want to pay up for because you're basically then paying for nothing uh, especially if you have to bring another manager in to save the day but it, uh, yeah I, I just don't it always sends alarm bells ringing for me whenever it's something that's done that doesn't necessarily have to be done so yes I maybe needed to give Goodwin a, a new contract uh, in order just for a bit of security and who knows maybe this were his demands and stuff but you think that three years yeah but a wee bit long highest paid manager in history yeah a wee bit much <laughs> it's like because Goodwin who's Goodwin leaving St Mirren for for instance like I'm not sure there's been enough there even if they do get top six for someday south of the border to go right he's who we want or for Celtic to do the same for instance I just I just didn't really see the kind of the real kind of threat that they needed to give him this much security and this much money. But if they're happy with him and they think he's doing a terrific job, then, yeah, whatever, fair enough. It's one of those things we're just going to have to wait and see. But just always kind of things like this, when Scottish clubs do it and they don't need to do it, I just always think it's a recipe for disaster. (laughs) Yeah. Like Hart's given Christoph Berra a new contract when he's literally coming back for injury and he's come up to Hearts because he could have easily continued playing at a higher level but he's come to Hearts because he wants to be back in Edinburgh. Who's he leaving for? Why are you giving him this new deal? This could only go wrong. And yeah, it turns out it did. I mean, we could go down down a very, very, very long path talking about Hearts and contracts. (laughs) Yes, so let's leave it there. Joel, thanks very much for joining me and thank you to everybody for listening. Joel and myself are going to do a Patreon now. We're going to slag off Celtic's statement today and uh, also took took a a look. (laughs) Good English, Craig. Also, take a look at the Aberdeen statement as well where they had their Q&A on and off Q&A basically with Dave Cormack and basically kind of just have a discussion about why clubs feel the need to put out statements that your average person has a, has a migraine trying to read. <laughs> so if you want to hear that, head over to patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast. And yes, that's it. Thank you. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply